Well, two Sundays. Next Sunday is Super Sunday. Everybody knows that. Got a football game. But that's the of passing interest and fleeting value, if any. Uh, but the next Sunday, we've got a service Sunday. That has the potential to have eternal, lasting value for the kingdom, for us, for our children, for the people we serve. Today, following along this, th- this theme here, is Simple Sunday. You wonder why it's Casual Friday? It's because a pastor isn't a pastor because he wears a tie. And a pastor isn't a pastor because he stands up on a stage on Sunday morning and says things to people. A pastor is one of the gifts of the body. It's of use to others because there's some way that God has made or gifted that person that can benefit others. It's no better or worse than the gift of teaching or words of knowledge or hospitality or healing. It's just different. It's just one thing. So as my place in this body, not just as teacher, but as pastor, means I desperately care about the condition of your lives and my life. It's the, the shepherd. Pastor means shepherd, so we're like a flock. But I get to be one of the flock because I'm a sheep too, and God's desperately concerned about my welfare. welfare. Um, but sometimes when you're looking at the flock as a whole, it feels like the herd's going this way or the herd's going this way or the herd is scattering the flock, I should say, right? Flock of sheep. Um, and so there's a time to kind of like come back to center, Maybe I need some sheepdogs to nip around the heels and like pull us together in the middle. And um, I wanted to have a Sunday where all we thought about is just the main thing and made the main thing the main thing. I wanted to put up a scripture from what we'll read. And as I did, the banners on either side were in the way. And I was like, oh, that's a good description. (laughs) Sometimes when we're trying to get the heart of things, all the things that are there are kind of in the way. And it might be time to declutter a little bit to simplify and to focus. Um, how? What's the Shema? What's the main thing? And? Love your neighbor. Right. That's the main thing. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else comes after that. So if we want to have good connections, we want to see things happen, transforming, equipping, what it's going to start from a place of loving God with everything we've got. That pure love transforms, connects, multiplies. Uh, but if we just love each other well and don't love the rest of God's people that are living in the condos around us and the neighborhoods and over at L Street, then we're not fulfilling Jesus' command. We're just the selfish kids who are happy that our parents gave us something and are not willing to share it. We need to be like Jesus, who gave everything for those who did not love him just because it was good for them, not good for him. So on this simple Sunday, I don't want to be up on a stage. I don't want to be reminded of all the many things that we could do or may do or are doing. I don't want to be different from you. I want to be among you. I want to preach as much to myself as to you. And uh, keep it simple, because we may find that the more we're trying to do many things, the more we may scatter a little bit, and the more we may not be as healthy of sheep as we need to be. Come back to the water. Come back to the living water. Come back to the bread of life. Come back to the basics. Come back to the heart. Love God with everything we've got, and love the people around us. And ultimately, this is what we've been looking at in Nehemiah. That was his heart. 
I've been identifying a lot with Nehemiah. Do you remember we looked at the beginning of his story and he got a report? (laughs) He became aware that the condition of the people of God and the city of God was just run down. It just needed to be refurbished. And it broke his heart. And then what he did is he asked God's favor and God gave him his blessing and he went forward. Next thing he did is he inspected the city. He went around. Like, what is the condition? And then he went to the people and he said, this is what I have seen. Will we work together to rebuild this powerful place of God, to rebuild the reputation of the people of God in the midst of the world around them? And I really just feel like in this season of my life, that's what God's been doing to me. Came back from the summer last summer, at the beginning of the fall, just so brokenhearted, just feeling like what I'm seeing in us, brokenhearted for the places in our lives where we're like the run-down sheep, (laughs) we're the broken-down sheep. I don't want that to be. I want more for us in the places where our church is like the scattered sheep (laughs) versus the body. There's There's more for us, and I want us to see that. And so I've spent these last four or five months talking to pastors from other churches, doing a lot of praying talking with people that are mentors of mine, saying, do you guys see the same thing? And without exception, these other people who are analyzing the state of the church of God say, yeah, we need to do some rebuilding. We want to have a beautiful, glorious city of God, people of God. Now, we know there's no physical temple. We are the temple. So we are the people of God, the temple of God, city of God. We need to be strengthened. We need to do it together. And so we're continuing Nehemiah's story. I can't help but see tons of parallels. This is me bringing to you. We had a leaders meeting yesterday with so many of us here from the church um, just saying, what do we see? And that's what I want from all of us this morning. Look around at the condition of our walls. Look at the round at the condition of our relationship with God personally. Does it have any like knocked down walls, a little bit of rubble in one corner where we're doubting him or where we've accused him or where we've walked away? Are there sins that are kind of like chipping away a part of Let's build each other up by focusing simply on God and his love for us and all people. And this is what Nehemiah did, but Nehemiah didn't just talk about it. And that's the thing that's inspiring me as well. He got his hands dirty. We can't just preach sermons about this kind of stuff. We have to live it and together. Nehemiah didn't rebuild the walls by himself. It was an effort of the whole body to do something to give God glory, to show that he is God. And it was amazing. And it was despite lots and lots and lots of opposition. So today, the two-minute version of this sermon, the five-minute version of this sermon, is going to be in chapter 2, just a few verses I'll encourage you to read chapter 4 as well, because chapter 4 goes into more of the opposition, but it's very much of the same from chapter 2. So let's just read the second half of chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Let's think about it, and I'd like to just bring to our minds 10 forms of opposition that we may be facing and 10 weapons that God gives us to fight it. So I'll just list them off. If you've got pens, you want to write them down. It may be that just one or two of them jump off the page to you and speak to where you're at. But let's first start with Nehemiah. Please read ourselves into this situation, identifying the things that we're afraid of as things that are in opposition to us. Nehemiah 2, 9. The verse right before it says, the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. So that's where it starts. God's good hand is in the good work to do God's work. And he chose Nehemiah for this task. Perfect person at the perfect time. 
to do what God needed. So verse 9 says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. He served notice to the people around. God's about to get to work here. I have the king's blessing, he says. You know, I'm going to do this work, but you can't stop it. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and with horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, when they heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Someone's coming in here to do God's work, and it's going to infringe upon what I'm trying to do here. I'm going to lose some control, they thought. I'm going to lose some power. I'm going to lose some of my money. I'm going to lose some of my prestige because the people of God are going to do something here that's going to impact me. I'm going to be at risk because they're going to be at work. And so they felt threatened. That's what they were afraid of. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. There'll be people that do not want us to build up God's people and God's church. Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. But then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and they despised us and said, what's this thing you're doing? You're rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim. Skip to the end of chapter 4. I'm realizing we need to read just the end of that as well. The beginning of chapter 4, they start sending, putting out rumors. They put a, a, a bounty on Nehemiah's head. Uh, he's challenged by people to hide in the temple and escape the opposition. And he's like, no, I'm here to do the work of God. What kind of credit is it going to be to God if I go and hide for my own safety in the temple? We work. And so he stood, he worked, the people stood, they worked. They had like a paintbrush and a, you know, a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. And they just fought back against all the waves of opposition that came their way. All right. So verse 14. I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles, and to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them, these fears. You just named your own. Do not be afraid of those fears, this opposition. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Chapter 6, verse 15. Can we just read the joyful result 
of this fighting back against opposition and standing for what God called them to do. Chapter 6, verse 15, Nehemiah writes, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And it goes on. There's even some more backstabbing and undermining and things that go on. This is not easy and it's not pretty, but it happens because God's good hand was on the good work. It is God's good work and his will for you to rebuild your, your relationship with him to a thing of glory so that when people see you, your face shines. Fight for that and fight for that for your sons and your daughters and for your church and for the people of God so that when people in the world see people of God, they know those are God's people because it couldn't have been that way otherwise. Despite our flaws, despite our sins, despite our shortcomings, God's good hand on us for God's good work. And fight for your neighbor. Fight for the person next to you who you don't know, who might be a stranger, who might look completely different from you, struggle with completely different things for you, have God's heart for them, and fight to rebuild Christ's reputation as one who goes out and seeks the lost, loves their neighbor. Do not just love God. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all the commandments and the law rest. If we will focus, if we'll keep it simple and see our relationship with God grow into this beautiful city and we help each other work, and if we don't just talk about it, but if we do it, and if we fight back against all the things that try to stop us, it will happen because God's good hand is on that. It's his will for that to happen. Fight for it. Fight for it. If we put ourselves out for those who are in need around us, it will bless them. They will be helped. They will see God at work. And that part of God's love for all of his people will grow in glory. We'll be rebuilding that city of God here on earth. And we didn't just save us to take us to heaven. Otherwise, we'd all be gone. We're here because we're to continue Christ's work. And do many, 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 many more things than he did in the time he was here because he's commissioning us in that great commission to go and carry on his work. So what kinds of opposition are we going to face? First is ignorance. We don't even know what our neighbor needs. We're too busy looking at ourselves in the mirror and being busy in our own lives. Look, ask, find out. That's part of our church's job, us as leaders, to say, what are our needs? How can we go? But it's every individual's job, too. Ask, find out, do not be ignorant. Another opposition is contentment. I'm okay with the way things are. I feel good. I love God. That's good. My neighbor's on his own. You're not fulfilling the Christian call. We have to go past complacency, past contentment. Opposition, fear. We will be afraid. How do you pray in public when someone asks you? How do you talk to someone? What do you do? What if you can't afford? What if you don't know how? Remember, do not fear. Remember the Lord and fight for God's mission. Family. Our families will hold us back sometimes. Be our greatest opposition. Be against us. Stand for God's family. Even if it means that our own family is pulling at us, stand for God first. Mocking, slander, gossip, all these rumors 
Let them talk. Just do the good work of God. Don't let it stop you because God wins in the end. There's intimidation and threats. How about the opposition of fatigue? I'm just tired of trying to do something good. I've been doing it for too long and I'm worn out. Strengthen your hands together to rise up and do the good work because God's good hand is upon it. And maybe, like Kristen said, it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. But to rebuild an entire city in 52 days, a whole wall, that's pretty impressive. Why don't we take some time and focus on rebuilding our section of the wall that God has given us? The opposition of sacrifice, are we willing to give of ourselves? The opposition of temptation, or there's something easier over here. I'll go to what's easy. No, stay where you're called and fight for it. Don't go with what's easy. So what are the weapons? You can read it for yourself. It's in Ephesians 6. You know them, right? The gospel is a weapon. It means I don't have to be perfect. Jesus loves me, but because he loves me, I am forgiven, and I am powerful because he's given me his Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. As they say sometimes, that'll preach. Preach it. Just say it. Don't be perfect. Be forgiven. Be a gospel person. You fight back against those who say, you're going to fail. Be like, yeah, of course, I could fail, but God's not going to fail. And if I stay with him, I'm ultimately going to succeed despite my failures. His plan, his gospel, I'm on his train, and he's going. The gospel is a weapon. It ties into so many other things. To prayer. Prayer is a weapon. Pray against your opposition all the time. Pray every minute. Pray together. Pray alone. Pray against that opposition. It is a weapon. It's not just a hope. You're not just on your knees hoping. You're praying, and God is doing something with that prayer. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit, God gives us things like wisdom so we know what to do. Gives us things like peace. Gives us things like healing to step out in a moment and work the kingdom in the world. Holy Spirit is a weapon. The body of Christ we're here for each other, and if we're too scattered as sheep that we can't love one another, then we'll all get weaker. We're stronger the closer we are with one another. We're weaker the further we are apart. So huddle. Huddle like sheep, and let the shepherd lead all of us. He'll take good care of us. Scripture, know your word, quote that word, live on that word, hold that word. Those are God's promises and his proof. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Have faith. Have gratitude. All these things are bad. Yeah, but God, this and this and this, I could never thank you enough. Hold gratitude in a, as a weapon against opposition. And the last two, boldness. Nehemiah doesn't say, hold a sword in one hand and you know your shovel in the other and good luck. He's like, fight for this. What else is worth fighting for? What else is worth fighting for? then that the people in our flock would be free and powerful and beautiful examples of Christ on earth. And what better thing is there to see that trickle outward from us as we love people? Keep it simple, church. And the last thing is the vision. If we have the same vision, God will take us to the same place. But we have to be in it together. And so I close with one verse. You don't need to turn there. I will just read it for us. Ephesians, Philippians, there we go. Write it down if you'd like to look it up later, but let me just read it to you now, just to save time in turning there. 
Paul writes to this church, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. That's the word. That's the word for today. That's the word. Let it be heard. Let us gain a reputation that we stand with one mind, all Christians, not just New Hope, that we stand with one heart, that we're, we're side by side contending. We're fighting for because it it's worth fighting for. We want to be silent and let our own relationship with God just wither and crumble? Be silent and let people just keep suffering around us? That's not the point. We're here. What could 60, 70 people, whatever we are in this room, what could 70 people united in purpose for God's glory accomplish. Jesus only had 12. He's fine. He's fine with that. What if we were multiplying from his seed of the kingdom? So we're supposed to be. That's what it means in my mind to keep it simple. And so I'd ask that for you, church, as well as from us leaders, as well as from every child and visitor and all of us. Let's spend some time seeking after what this looks like. Let's not just keep doing what we're doing and then wondering why we're just in the same spot that we are. Let's grow. Let's go. Let's stretch. Let's pray. Let's seek first the kingdom and then let God fall everything into place like dominoes after that. This is a Nehemiah calling the people. Some of you may not agree. Some of you may feel like, I don't know. I think things are okay. I tell you, from my perspective... We all have some crumbling pieces that need to be strengthened, and we can't do it on our own, and you can't do it on your own. So don't try. Let's do it together. Let's fight for one another because it's worth it. Let's close in prayer. Music team, come forward so we can close with a song. Holy Spirit, move in us to do your good work. Our souls are forgiven and redeemed, but they're kind of weak at times. Strengthen us. Build us up in you. Allow us to see the opposition for what it is and to stand together despite it. That will be a sure sign of our victory. Give us prayer lives that matter. Give us places to serve that will bear fruit in your name. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in our section of this city as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.